Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Verizon Hub, the home phone reinvented exclusively from Verizon Wireless. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting next to me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Guten Tag. <laughs> v. Gates. Uh, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I've already extinguished. I, I could have said, uh, uh, which is pretty much the only other German I know. Okay, then. Which, unfortunately, will just have people speak to me in German more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never want to do that. Speaking of... Uh, Foreign languages and things that aren't what they seem. Yes. I think, uh, weren't we going to talk about some clones? We are going to talk about some clones, but we're not going to talk about cloning people or anything like that. No, and, and nor are we going to talk about the uh, Star Wars prequels. Oh, please, the less said the better. <laughs> no, no, we're talking Ugh. about Macintosh clones. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the prequels. All right, do we need to give you a second? I'm good. All right. So we're going to talk about Mac clones. And the reason why this is such a big deal in the first place is if you, if you're a, 
a PC user, you might be wondering, okay, so what's the deal with the Mac? I mean, what what's so important about it? What's so cool? Um, you know, because PCs, they come in a variety of different flavors from a variety of different manufacturers, right? Yeah, I mean, you could you could walk in your local uh, gigantoid computer electronics store, assuming that it's still in business, right. and pick from two dozen manufacturers yeah, of different like, you know, laptops. HP, and Dell, Gateway. I mean, you've got all these Acer. different yeah, Acer. You've got all these different uh, uh, companies that make these different PCs. Um, they're all running, you know, a, a, a either a Usually either Windows or Linux. I mean, mostly Windows. Right. Uh, so, but, but they're coming from all these different manufacturers. And, um, you know, an HP may be less powerful than a, a Dell that's in the same price range or whatever. Uh, but when it, when you start looking around at Macs, there's only one source for Macs. That's true. That's Apple. Well, sort of. Well, sort only of. Only one source. Sort of. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> one official source. One official source. There we go. Jobs would have it, Steve Jobs would have it, where there's only one source for Macs. Yes. And that would be Apple. So you wouldn't find a a, a Dell computer running the Mac operating system. No. Well. Not today. Not usually. <sighs> Good Lord, Paulette. Come you know, on, there is such a thing called a Hackintosh. Yes, there is such a thing as a Hackintosh. See, see uh, this is off topic, but I'll, I'll just point out that um, for you, those of you who are less Mac- Interested? I won't say Mac savvy. That's that's different. Um, if you're not really interested in the Mac, and you're going, what are you what are you talking about? A Dell can run the Mac OS. It could, theoretically, but you kind of have to tinker with it a little bit because now that Macs run on the Intel processor, if you have a Dell with an Intel processor and you want to violate lots of warranties, end user <laughs> you could, license agreements. Yeah, you you could fiddle with it, and and the thing is, the Mac OS is generally designed to work with the parts that Apple puts in the Macintosh. That's one of the reasons why it works so well. It's because it says, okay, well, you're looking for A or B. It's like, oh, well, I found B. Well, there you go. You don't have to worry about whether or not you have an NVIDIA graphics card or an ATI or, you know, whomever else. Because, right. you know, that's that's sort of what the Windows clones are all about. So but, in order to in order to run it on a uh, PC, you have to create essentially what's called an emulator. Yeah. We've talked about emulators before when we were talking about uh, multiple arcade machine emulators. Um, so an emulator is just really, uh, it's, it's usually software, but it can be software and hard- hardware working together that mimics the way another piece of hardware and or software works. Um, it's not a copy. It's just trying to copy what that other piece of equipment does. And people who do this generally have a varying level of success with it, depending on the kind of hardware and the age of the hardware that and they're using. And how familiar they are with it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, that's different. I mean, we're, we're talking clones and that would be like you go into the store and buy an HP right out of the box. It works with Windows and it's going to work with Windows because that's, you know, it's authorized. It's a clone of the IBM PC from back in the day. Right. So, uh, but Mac clones, well, that's a little different. Yeah, but it wasn't. Let, let, let's let's take a little walk down memory lane. Little. All right. Yeah, we both were going to do that at the same time. That's just pathetic that we both thought of that. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to go all the way back to the Apple II days. Yeah, that was when cloning was cool for Apple. They were happy with it. Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> uh, the Waz was not so happy Happier with it. With it, yeah, let's they, say that they weren't. There were official licensed cloners. There were, there were, but but the very the the first one I'm thinking of is the Franklin Ace. Clone. Oh wow, you did go back. Yeah, the, I'm talking about way back to the Apple II. Back the when Franklin, they made computers out of leaves and bark. 
Yeah, well, you know, when dinosaurs ruled the computer world. So Franklin Ace, <laughs> the Franklin Ace was a, a, a computer that came out of the Franklin Computer Corporation, and uh, that was a, a clone of the Apple II. And um, it was not licensed. It yeah. was not uh, it was not authorized in any way, shape or form by Apple. Nope. And it actually became the the first success. Uh, it became the the um, subject of the first successful attempt in a U.S. court of law to prove that computer software could be protected by copyright. Wow. Thank you, Joshua Coventry, who wrote a great article about this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so way back, and this is back in, uh, uh, it was 1983 that, um, that ruling came down where they said, okay, you know what? An operating system can be, uh, under copyright, can be protected under copyright, which was a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it sounds, you know, of course it sounds like it's, it's common sense now, but this was back in the very early days of personal computing. Yeah, they had to decide whether it was um, basically an original work, and uh, you know, because even recordings were not covered by copyright forever and ever. You know, once the recording industry came online, if you will, uh, the courts had to wrestle with that and try to figure out how to incorporate copyright law in for music. So right. every time there's some new technology like this, and you know, these authors are writing software, they're not writing a book, so they have to say, well, you know. Does this protection extend? And they ultimately decided it did. And uh, so 1983, the the court makes the ruling. And it's not until 1988 that Apple is able to uh, to force Franklin to withdraw its clones from the market. But uh, that's, yeah, that's the earliest um, example. But if you if you move forward a few years, you start to see uh, licensed Apple software ending up on non-Apple computers. That's true. So you want to talk about this a little bit? Well, um, I just know that uh, when I was in junior high and high school, the Apple II was the dominant computer in education. So when my friends had computers at home, they had one of two machines. Um, the Apple II, which was more popular in, in educational circles, or the Commodore 64, which was more popular with, I don't know, people who write today's video games. Because they were the kind of computers that people were writing programs for. And an Apple II was considered, at least by my friends, something of a you know word processing machine or something that you played Oregon Trail on. Um, so, you know, I first started seeing those machines back in the day. And I think the ones that I remember uh, seeing were very similar to the Apple IIc. Gotcha. Um, you know, and, uh, I don't, I don't remember much about that time because I was just getting my first Commodore Amiga at that point. And, you know, at that point, I'm kind of blown off the Apple. <sighs> okay. Well, we can't go off. In the I'm not going Amiga off on that tangent. tangent. I'm just saying. All right. So let's pull it back. Let's skip ahead a few years. We're going to go all the way to the Mac years. Actually, we don't have to go that far to tell you the truth. Well, not that far. Because I remember the, the, the Halcyon clone days of the nineties, but, as I started doing research, I, uh, a site that I visit every so often called lowendmac.com. Yeah. Um, they generally work with older Macintosh computers, hence the low end name. You know, you're, oh, well, this thing's five years old. What am I going to do with it now? Well, they have a lot of options for that. And they also had a bit of a history of the Mac cloning world. And one of the, and this is a good segue from our previous topic because one of the very first cloners was a uh, Brazilian company called Unitron. Mm-hmm. And they were licensed to make Apple II clones. In Brazil, that's because at the time, Brazilian law didn't allow the importation of computers. So they wanted to make Mac clones when the uh, Mac came on the market in 1984. And around 1985, 
Um, they basically talked to Apple, found out that Apple was going to want a 51% stake in the operation. Um, and, uh, basically Unitron said, yeah, I don't think so. Right. So they, uh, essentially reverse engineered the thing. Wow. Hardware and, and software. Um, they got a $10 million loan from the, from the Brazilian government. And, uh, unfortunately, Apple caught wind of their scheme. They actually got hold of a prototype that had a Mac ROM in it, a ROM chip in it. Nice. And as soon as they did that, they were able to prove, look, these guys are hacking off our stuff. We've got to, uh, we've got to stop this. This is our intellectual property. And basically they pressured the Brazilian government to make them stop. Right. Even though they already had a few hundred built. Um, so they essentially sold their stake, the, all their, their plans to another company in Taiwan, uh, backed out and they're, they still exist actually, apparently today. Uh, but they're, um, they're no longer in the Apple business by any means. Right. But that was in 1985. So, so that was, it really goes back that far. That's true. But if you, if you think about it, Jobs, one of the things he was really famous for is that he wants, he wants lots of control. Oh I mean, yeah. He, he, he demands the best possible product. Um, he also is famous for, uh, supposedly knowing what the consumer wants, even if the consumer doesn't know. And that he skates to where the puck is going to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> whatever it is that he him. offers you is what you want, whether you know it or not. Yeah. But, uh, Apple decided it didn't want jobs around and new no. jobs was kind of pushed aside for a while. And uh, eventually he left the company to go f- found another company. Uh, we don't need to get into that because we did a whole podcast about Steve jobs. But in the meantime, uh, Apple d- made a decision. First of all, in 1991, they formed an alliance with IBM and Motorola. So then you've got Apple, IBM, and Motorola. They called the alliance AIM. A-I-M. Really? Yeah. I just got a message on that. Uh, not wrong. That's AOL Instant Messenger. So anyway, they decided to create this uh, new computing standard uh, based on the PowerPC architecture. Um, skip ahead a few more years, okay? So they're working on this. This thing doesn't really – I mean, it doesn't take off the way they want it to. In 1994, the summer of that year, Apple starts to license the Mac operating system to other manufacturers, hardware manufacturers. Yes. And then um, things kind of fall apart for Apple a little bit. Well, actually, it got, it got a little crazy um, because when I started comparing timelines, not only were the authorized Mac cloners at work, other people were taking apart Apple machines and building new Macs like right. the uh, – the Mick Mobile, which was a plexiglass portable Mac and uh, an outbound laptop. Outbound was the name of the company. And these were all, you know, in the early to mid 80s. But they started to overlap into the, the late 80s. And that's right about the time that it started getting uh, crunch time for Apple because they were starting to lose some money. Yeah, they, and, Apple uh, was really in bad shape. And they ended up purchasing the company that Jobs had founded. And we should go ahead and say that that company, the next computing company, that just uh, that was that was not doing so well either. But um, they bought the company. Jobs was brought on sort of as a consultant. He ended up essentially taking uh, taking over again, becoming the interim CEO and eventually the CEO of Apple. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so in September of 1997. Um, they, you know, the PowerPC processor processor gets introduced by Motorola, and then Apple says, "You know what? We're done with this licensing thing," and they buy back the licenses. Yeah, see, there there were a handful of uh, very popular clones uh, with from names like Daystar. Motorola had the Star Max. Of course, they were making the PowerPC chips, so it was 
certainly easy for them to get a hold of them. Power computing, which had a very ser- uh, very favorable uh, opinion because they had all these you know fight back ads that were just very popular in the at the time. And uh, UMAX, who made the Super Mac, and the UMAX and and uh, power computing were sort of the last holdovers. They really pushed back against Apple, saying, you know, hey, look, we're building a, a business here. We're adding to your market share. What are you crazy? But Jobs was saying, you know what? Uh, this is not the way I envision computing. Um, and I, if I can't do it my way, it's not going to get done at all. And so he was very much adamant on getting back all those licenses and, and really dictating what it means to, you know, what a Mac product really means in the marketplace. He, he wanted to make sure that that was his vision and not someone else's. And by his vision, we should go ahead and say, of course, that he's not necessarily the one who designed all the uh, the really pretty Mac features, but he certainly um, is the one who champions them. Well, uh, and and he is um he is the was the founder of Next, and Next Step was the operating system ran on those boxes, and that basically provides the underpinnings, or at least it did when they first came out with OS ten or OS X as right. it appears on boxes, um, or OSX as I call it, right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like they, they, uh, had him come back just so they could have him back. I mean, they actually got some very valuable technology out of it and essentially changed the way Macintosh computers operate completely, you know, once they incorporated those changes. So let's skip ahead now, pretty much to present day, really to last year. Um, now that they're gaining market share back and they have beautiful products that people like to spend money lots for. Lots and lots, lots and, and lots, lots of money, money for, up for yeah. it. Yeah. So now you get to a point where Jobs has has pretty much proven his worth to the company uh, once again. I mean, he, he brought it from the brink of bankruptcy uh, back to, I guess, it's most profitable ever, really. Um, and people are, you know, more people were buying Macs. I think at one point it, it reached at about a 10% share in the market, which yep. is pretty phenomenal, really, when you consider. They were down below know, 5% at the right. time, at, at the low point. So, so that's, that's a lot of computers. That's millions and millions of computers. So now we're at a point where all the Macs are, again, coming only from Apple. All the authorized Macs are coming only from Apple. And now we have this other company that popped out of seemingly nowhere called Psystar. P-S-Y-S-T-A-R. Um, this is a Florida-based company that claimed that what they were going to do was sell a low-end, a low-price computer um uh, that was going to run the Mac OS 10 operating system. Uh, it was not going to be a Mac. You were not going to buy a Mac computer that was just marked uh, down. It was going to be made out of off-the-shelf computer parts, but running the Mac OS. And um, again, this is one of those things where you have to make sure that your equipment is going to run this OS properly because it's designed for a very specific uh, hardware setup. And, um, you know, without the Apple ROMs, yeah, you're going to have sort of a limited experience. With you're it. definitely going to, you're definitely going to have to do some workarounds yeah. to, to be able to get the operating system to, to perform correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, one of the big drawbacks to the Psystar approach is that they have said that they are not able to guarantee product support that everything's going to work exactly the way it's supposed to. What they're guaranteeing is that you can buy a, a much cheaper computer running the Mac operating system than you would if you were to go to uh, Apple directly. And, I mean, that might be true. And for for a while, people were wondering if this was even a real company at all. Um, I read, uh, I read a, a report from uh, Charles Arthur from The Guardian, and he did some investigative reporting – 
And it was, it was very, uh, interesting. He first was looking to see where this company was located and discovered that the address had changed while he was looking for it. The original uh-huh. address was apparently in the middle of this suburban area in Florida, and the second address was in a more industrial area. So there's that question. Um, there's a question of, are there other entities behind Psystar that are really interested in just ta- taking Apple down, uh, taking the whole Mac computer down a few notches um, and opening it up? To make it, uh, to make it, uh, a more open environment because Mac, Apple is very, uh, famous for being a very closed environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of what makes them Apple. Psystar argues that, uh, Apple has created a monopoly because it's the only, you know, they're the only ones who offer any equipment that can run the Mac OS and therefore it's, uh, it's, you know, a monopoly on that operating system. Right. Um, Apple, for its part, argues that it holds the copyright and therefore anyone trying to to put this software on an unauthorized computer is violating their copyright as well as their end user license agreement. But here's the thing. End user license agreements aren't law. Well, it depends on whom you ask. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Because they're not law right now. It's funny because when I made that point about copyright earlier and how they have to make these decisions based on emerging material like this, this really is going to force the hand of of judges. And I'm assuming plural because it's going to keep going. You know, as soon as one side loses, they're going to appeal. So this probably is going to go high up in the courts. And it's not even uh, scheduled to go to court until November 2009. For their part, I I know that uh, Sistar claims, hey, we bought the OS off the shelf. Therefore, we are allowed to use it. Apple doesn't seem to find that hold much water. No, their end user license agreement specifically states that you can only use the Mac operating system on and on Apple hardware. Well, there you go. So, uh, but the question is, does, is the end user license agreement, is that actually binding? Um, I thought it would be interesting to kind of run down a comparison of the, the product that Psystar offers versus a basic iMac. Oh, by all means. So here we go. For $599.99, you can buy from Psystar the Open 3, which runs the Mac OS X Leopard version 10.5, has a 2.8 gigahertz uh, duo or dual core processor. Um, It's got two gigabytes of DDR2 800 memory. It's got a 500 gigabyte hard drive. Um, It's got a DVD burner. It's got the GE Force 8400 uh, graphics card, but you don't get a keyboard. You don't get a mouse. You don't get a monitor. There's no Bluetooth support. There's no FireWire support, and there's no wireless support. So those are things you do not get with that. Now, with an iMac, the iMac comes with a 2.66 gigahertz processor. It's not as powerful. It uh, comes with two gigabytes of DDR3 RAM, so Pretty, pretty comparable to the uh, Open 3. Uh, 320 gigabyte hard drive, so not as much space. Um, uh, it's got a DVD burner, but it's not as fast as the other uh, DVD burner, the one in the Open 3. Um, it's, got an, it's got a NVIDIA GeForce 9400 graphics processor, which technically is better than the other one. But it also comes with a mouse, keyboard. It has the 20-inch monitor because that's built into the – I mean, that's the iMac. Um, and it has wireless and a webcam. And now, it also comes one, with some software, and, but like that the one, iLife package. Right. 
That one costs twelve hundred dollars, so right. it's twice as much. Right. So the the question is, if you throw in the monitor, the the keyboard, the mouse, a webcam, uh, a wireless, uh, uh, you know, card, things like that, how much more would the Open Three be? It'd be a little bit more, and it still wouldn't be as expensive as the uh, as the uh, the iMac. My question is, is it worth trying to save a couple hundred bucks? When you know you're not going to have the support that you would get from Apple, there's no guarantee that you will be able to keep that machine because there may be a recall in the future. I mean, does it make sense to buy one? In my opinion, the answer to that is no. Thank you for listening. (laughs) No, no. I totally agree with you. Because, I mean, okay, say you don't want to spend $1,200 for an iMac, but you do want an excellent you know, machine that's going to be reliable. Well, then buy a, a PC clone. That comes from a reliable source as an authorized copy of Windows on there. That way you can be assured that you're going to be okay. I mean, people who switch to Linux, um, there's some support, but it's not, uh, you're not paying for support. Right. Um, of course, there's a very robust community that helps out with that sort of thing. But I mean, if that, you know, makes you a little squeamish, then, you know, you're probably going to opt for, in general, a Windows or a Mac computer. And, you know, then the, the options sort of drop away because you start going, well, you know, I just don't trust these guys. I don't really know much about them. And if Apple doesn't like them, if they're not authorized and they uh, release an update that bricks my computer, that's not good. And I, I think also that a great deal of the appeal of Mac comes in the form factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Macs are gorgeous machines. There's no getting around it. They are beautifully designed. And uh, I'm not so sure that that many people would be like, you know what? I just want that operating system. I don't care if it looks yeah. boxy. Sure. You know, I mean, it's it's a style and aesthetic question, not just a you know performance question. Well, otherwise, Vista and Windows 7 wouldn't li- look like they do, and uh, the Ubuntu community wouldn't be working so hard on trying to improve the look and feel of its interface. Well, I mean, and, it's obviously play- and, plays a serious and part. And it's not just the interface I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual, the actual physical hardware. hardware. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at an it's iMac, it's a beautiful machine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just and the, the power books, everything, all of those look very nice. So, um, That's yeah. That's part I, of why they can charge extra for them. <laughs> I'm thinking that Psystar may very well be an effort to bring down Mac and and less of an, a viable business model, right? So, like, so you're uh, going the conspiracy theory route. I'm not going to call it conspiracy. <laughs> I'm not calling it a conspiracy. But it is a theory. But I, I, I would not be surprised to learn that the ultimate goal of Psystar is not to try and sell these computers, but rather to try and take down Apple's stance of keeping a closed system. Sort of like uh, the politicians who have no chance of Hades. Of getting elected, but they, they bring up considerably different issues just to get them out there, at least so they say. Similar to that. So basically they're not really there to make a buck. They're there to raise these issues and get these barriers broken down. I, I, I would, I would not be surprised to learn that. Yeah. I know if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I would not be surprised to learn that. I'm a fan more of the OS anyway. So I w- it would be nice if it spread to more people, unless of course that means that more people write viruses for it, in which case never mind. But. Um, you know, so I'm not exactly anti-Sistar necessarily. I would like to see that they, you know, can work things out and maybe have some licensed clones again. I don't know that it would necessarily be a problem for Apple as I'm, much as Steve I don't says. Know. I don't, well, it depends. If Jobs is still there, I don't see it happening. Well, no, I, I just don't, don't think it, I don't think it'll happen. But we'll see. I, I think that's a good discussion on Mac clones, which right, of then. course brings us around to. Oh no. Listener mail! There we go. 
This listener mail comes from Kimberly, who also made a request for an episode topic, but we're planning on tackling that in the future, so I'm just going to take the last little bit of her email. I really enjoyed the April Fool's podcast, especially when you mentioned ThinkGeek. The whole time you were talking about their mini product gags, I was wondering when you'd get to the soundtrack t-shirt. True to form, you guys did mention it. I've had my eye on that thing for a while, but being a poor college student, it's kind of on the back burner. Thank you again for all the informative podcasts, and I hope there will be many more in the future. Kimberly. Well, thanks, Kimberly. Um, there definitely will be many more in the future. There's no way of getting around that. <laughs> uh, and I, too, want the Think Geek shirt. I asked for it for... Uh, I, I had that on my Christmas wish list, if you remember, way back when. Uh, that was on my stocking stuffer list. Many podcasts ago. Many, many podcasts ago. I, I have yet to receive that, probably because my wife has threatened everyone we know with bodily harm should I receive such a gift. Um, there's no way I would not be able to enter a room without playing the music from the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's just, that's the way it is. And I'm talking everywhere. I'm talking work, too. So I would not be popular here either. I would definitely need a laugh track. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would at least get some laughs for your jokes. Zing! Instant rim shot. Thank you very much. Sad trombone. (laughs) Thank you very much, Kimberly. If any of you would like to write us, you can do so at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, you can go to our website, read all up about different technical uh, issues and interesting articles. That's at howstuffworks.com. If you look to the right, you'll even see links to our blogs, where Chris and I blog every single workday. Blog, blog, blog. Sometimes more than once if we get really antsy. It's true. So uh, check it out. Take a look. Let us know what you think. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.